Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Andy Katz. Okay. Life on the bubble, alive and well. Good to see you. We are down to four teams. Four teams, maybe not four teams we expected, but four teams that earned their way to the final four. Four teams that are playing as well as any team uh, or earned their way by the way they by the way they played. So let's kind of let's really quickly, let's a quick thumbnail sketch of these two games. And let's start with FAU and San Diego State now, because I think FAU is the one that probably is the greatest surprise. They only have, I think they only played six games against top 100 teams, yet they've been good all season long and have made their way into the top 25. I like FAU in this game, Andy. And here's my rationale. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. FAU had no problem scoring against a Tennessee team that everyone has agreed upon was the best defense in college basketball. FAU plays ahead of your defense. FAU gets extra possessions on the offensive glass. FAU plays four floor gamers and shot makers on the floor and Vladislav Golden, who's maybe one of the most underrated players in the final four. I think FAU's ability to play ahead of the defense, open up the court, it's fairly disruptive defensively, and use their quickness to get to the glass is going to be a problem for San Diego State. And you say? Well, yeah, look, I saw them in person, uh, and I was incredibly impressed. Uh, it's not about me, but it was funny because when they won against K-State, Nicholas Boyd ran right over to me and said, I told you, Andy, we're pit bulls because I kept picking against them. Uh, so look, I, I, I only saw them briefly during the season. Uh, I was wowed of course, like everyone else by K state two nights earlier in the garden. It was one of the greatest performances I've seen on that floor by Marquise Noel, 20 points, 19 assists, NCAA record. Uh, I loved that. I loved watching that K state team FAU that game against Tennessee was a bit of a rock fight. And yet they had a second gear offensively at the end to pull away because Tennessee just couldn't score. But then, as you said, like. FAU can score, and they did a great job shot for shot with Kansas State. Elijah Martin, by the way, had one of the dunks of the tournament right off the bat. Um, I mean, it was a prized fight in the first five to seven minutes. It was back and forth. Crowds were great. I was blown away, by the way. I know they got a big commuter student base down in Boca Raton, but they had a great, uh, you know, uh, fan support at the Garden. Uh, and so, you know, it's a team of guys that get it, that are all in Ryan Greenlee was once at Minnesota. Um, you know, uh, Michael Forrest is like a rare unicorn where he was a, uh, high school senior that was recruited by Dusty May. He was the first recruit. He comes off the bench. Um, you know, uh, Janelle Davis, uh, just quietly. Janelle Davis is is going to play in the NBA. Yeah. I mean. Janelle Davis is a three-level scorer with with an NBA-type body. It's got a little Shevlin Mack in it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm saying, look, but these guys aren't household names. Maybe that's all. household names because they play in Conference USA. Yes. And and they're not in a Power 5 conference. They didn't, you know, they haven't had the exposure. But you look at them as basketball players. They're basketball players. They're competitive. They have skill. They can make shots. They can impose their identity. The most important thing is San Diego State's going to play two bigs, pretty much. So in defensive transition, Andy, those bigs 
and, and FAU runs competitive lanes in transition. Whoever gets the rebound can initiate it. Everyone else is running. They're filling spacing and gaps and uh, in transition. So, like, going back on defense and defensive transition, this is what happened in the Tennessee game. We'd say it's a rock fight. They played ahead of the rock fight as the game wore along once they settled in. And, and to me, Southern State's a great defensive team. I love Brian Dutcher. I think he's a coach's coach. I mean, he was ra- you know, raised by a great coach. They're a hard team to prepare for because you can't simulate what they do in your practice. That's my take. My concern with the Aztecs, and maybe he'll snap out of it, but Matt Bradley's been in a serious shooting slump in this tournament. He only had two points in that win against Creighton. And my concern is if FAU scores the way they did against K-State, I just don't know if the Aztecs can get up and down. Now, San Diego State's been able to impose its will, as you said, defensively with each opponent and keeping that game under 60. You know, that's the way they beat Alabama. That's the way they beat Creighton. But if, if this game gets into the 70s on one side on FAU, I just don't know if San Diego State can score like that. Um, it, they have the ability, but they've not shown it in this tournament. Look, if they can make it a half-court game like they did to Creighton, Creighton wants to go up and down. If they can make it a half-court game, then they got a shot. Uh, I mean, they, 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 they're not a shot. Then San Diego State wins the game. The defense that's played by FAU is underappreciated. They can pressure the ball. They can be disruptive. I thought that uh, Vladislav Golden showed really a really good ability to get out ball screens and get back into play, come back and rebound. They doubled up Kansas State on the backboards, 44-22. They rebound out of quickness. They rebound because they're a bunch of junkyard dogs. They rebound because they're going to look. San Diego State is also. I mean, San Diego State is good, and they're good, and they expect to win. And Lamont Butler, uh, you know, you, you talk about Bradley, but Butler stepped up in at 18 points. Uh, so, I mean, they're getting, you know, Ladiz is a guy that um, balances Nathan Mensa. You know, can, can, can FU get to the rim with the rim protection and the length? Will they get the same looks? They're, they're a little quicker across the board than, say, the Tennessee defense. Um, they're a little more rugged than the Kansas State defense. So, I mean, those are things to watch. I have finally made my pick, but I am leaning heavily to FAU right now. Yeah, I mean, they had me do these rankings right off the bat, one through four. And obviously, I, I ranked them based on initially, like, who San Diego State beat versus who FAU beat. Um, but I have a lot of reservations about putting San Diego State ahead of FAU right now, just based on, you know, what I've seen. My other concern, I'm curious what you think of this. We, you know, we've covered the same amount of Dome Final Fours, uh, or you've been to, you know, uh, because I've been to every Dome Final Four since 97. And, you know, a team that's struggling to shoot, uh, I, I really am wondering with San Diego State how they will handle the expansive Dome setting. like. They're going to have to get up a lot of shots, I think, Thursday and Friday. Um, because I, you know, that I, I'm just, I'm really. Andy, their watch. best offense is the offensive rebound. No, I know that. But at some point, they're going to have to make some perimeter shots. And they haven't yeah, been I able mean, to do that. Well, that's not their thing. Even though they shot like 34, 35% from three point line this year. Their thing is checking people, owning the tempo, rebounding the basketball. And, and basically, I mean, look at their defensive numbers from the three point line. I mean, they're, they're holding 
really elite offensive teams in the teams, in the teams. Yeah, Alabama and Creighton both struggled. They only had a couple of threes each. Yeah, so, I mean, they, you know, but different offenses. Alabama couldn't play ahead of the defense, but, and and that was, that's a little bit of a caution for me. I mean, because, but Javon Quinley is, and the, the, everyone talks about, well, you know, Alabama threes, layups, and free throws. They create that because of their guard play. When they're when they're good, they create it because of the point guard play. This pace, the pace, pace, pace. You always hear they talk about pace. In that game, their point guard play was not good. It wasn't good. Whether it was Bradley, whether it was Quinterly, uh, whether you know, you know, their point guard play wasn't what they needed to be to be successful. Here's so, another thing that I think will be interesting to watch right off the bat is that. Um, you know, how does each team handle the moment, the beginning? Because I thought FAU did a phenomenal job of meeting the moment at Madison Square Garden right off the bat against K-State and what was at at stake. Um, and, you know, Sandy State, they've had to sort of come back each game, but a little slow. So what happens if FAU pops them, gets off to a great start, and suddenly it's 8-2 or something like that? You know, how well can they play catch-up? Uh, you know, those first five minutes I, are going to be really interesting to me. Yeah, I, the moment thing is, you know, get to this point. Uh, look, I mean, FAU is a better scoring team than San Diego State. So, you, than, than San Diego State. San Diego State plays rock fights, and they're very comfortable playing rock fights, where FAU is more comfortable playing freewheeling. Free so, you know, I, you know, Everyone, I, you know, you've heard me say this. It takes time to settle into a game. That's just the way it is. Some people settle into it quicker. Some people settle slower. It's still a 40-minute game. So, like, hey. you know, sending state, you know, well, even FAU, they get behind. Eventually, they, they believe they're going to eventually have a run. And that's just the One thing I want to get your opinion do. on uh, is that because you were the head coach at Long Beach State, so you know that state California system – I covered in the 90s some pretty bad San Diego State from Brandenburg to Trankel to Tony Fuller playing at Peterson Gym, the old sports arena. I just think we should take a moment and appreciate the Steve Fisher, Brian Dutcher arc of that rebuild and, and oh, what yeah. the show is. We were both there at that BYU game back in November. It really is amazing to me what they have done with that program from Fisher to Dutcher because both of us, you as a head coach in that league, uh, way back when, and me as a journalist back then in the '90s in California, like it, it's amazing to me what has transpired. Yeah, the consistency, but it's the consistency in their approach. It's their habits and what, how they do things. They haven't changed very much in terms of their identity. They recruit to it. They've got great facilities now. They've got great ownership. Uh, you know, it's like one of those things. I sit back and sometimes think, if I stayed at Long Beach, that could have been us because we had it going that way. But more, I tip my hat to, to Fish, and I also, I'm just happy for Brian Dutcher, because you know what? He could have went other places. He could have gotten a head coach job. But he, you know what? He was comfortable. And then when, he, when his opportunity presented itself, he, he basically had total control and was at ease with the program and what they need to continue to do uh, to be, continue to be successful. All right, let's go to the next game. Well, can I just say one last thing? As a coach, a coach's coach that you are, I also think it's great to see Dusty May, who didn't go a traditional path. You know, he was a manager for Bob Knight, 
you know, went had a million stops, was with Mike White, Louisiana Tech, Florida, gets his shot. And it just shows that, like, there's not a straight line. You know, there's different ways to do it. And I think that's another way to appreciate, you know, to getting to this point. Well, Dusty made him miss, miss any steps. You know, I mean, he, you know, he paid his dues. And I think that's an important thing. Worked with good people. You know, was a manager for one of the great teachers in the history of our game. Paid attention, listened. And he's incredibly likable. And uh, I could see why his players enjoy him so much and play for him the way they do. Uh, another guy that didn't skip any steps is Danny Hurley. Yep. You know, everyone thinks, well, Danny Hurley, oh, you know, he's the son of Bobby Hurley, a Hall of Famer. No, Danny Hurley didn't have it easy. Danny Hurley was a good player. Went to Seton Hall. A little bit of crash and burn. Uh, went and worked for his dad after he was done playing where you know, and he got his stuff together. Uh, as an assistant coach at St. Anthony's, making like seven grand a year, teaching eight zillion courses uh, to St. Benedict's, where he built a, a program that mirrored his dad's to Wagner, low division one, to Rhode Island, a mid-major, to when he got his opportunity at UConn, he took no shortcuts, no different than what he did. Uh, he went step by step. and. You know, the greatest thing obviously that happened to besides hiring Danny Hurley was going back into the Big East. The Big East once again became the vehicle. But make no mistake about it. That guy, you can take NAL all you want. He's coaching his team. And if you if you don't want to be coached and if you don't want to be coached hard, don't go to UConn. But if you want to be coached and you want to get better, go to UConn. And you see that in his team whether it's Andrew Jackson, whether it's Jordan Hawkins, whether it's Adamus and Milgo, whether it's the short time that Tristan Newton's been there, whether it's Alex Caravan redshirting last year, the most dominant team in the NCAA tournament thus far doesn't mean anything because zero zero when you get to Houston, 22 points a game, 42% uh, from the three, uh, efficient, most efficient offensive team in the NCAA tournament and a team that can really guard and a team that doesn't play like everyone else, they don't live and die on ball screens. They move the ball, they move people, they get the ball swung side to side, uh, they, get a, they get a good shot. Uh, they're the real deal. And they're playing against Miami team that is as well coached as any in the country and has great, great guard play and two brutal matchups. And obviously Isaiah Wong and, and Jordan Miller, who's an absolute brutal matchup. All right, so before we get to Miami, I just want to make a couple of UConn comments because it's crazy when you think about this unpredictable tournament. We lost all four number ones, twos, and threes, and yet they've been the most consistent team. They've dominated the competition. They've won by the widest margin. And what I thought was interesting, and I was there with you um, uh, earlier on Tuesday on campus and talking to their players, I was talking to them about that when they went a little sideways in January, which, by the way, I think now in today's climate with older guys, it's almost impossible to run through any of these conferences and you're going to have some rough spots, but they said during that time, they kind of lost their identity, especially defensively. And then they got it back and they're playing even better than they were when they got the number two in the country and won the tournament out in Portland. Um, and, and the connectiveness with all of them, the unselfishness that, you know, two different bigs, but having two bigs, even though they're different in Klingon and Sunogo is something that no other team in the field has, let alone in the final four. Yeah, you talk about connective. Everyone does their job. They're very Belichick. All right. People show what they can do and not what they can't do. Andre Jackson's the most unique player in the tournament. 
And he went through that stretch when they struggled. Remember, Danny had COVID. He missed his birthday. They lost to Seton Hall. That was rock bottom. At the buzzer, by the way. And and when he was talking to him today, he thought that Marquette win was the one that got him to believe. And then they got Providence. They got on a roll. Uh, you know, he had great things to say about Marquette and, and Providence. Um, but but look, you play in league. They haven't lost a game in non-conference. They haven't lost a neutral court game. Their losses are in league. You can lose games in league. But Danny said, you know, that was rock bottom. You know, he felt he was, you know, let his team down because he has such ownership in what they're doing. But you're going to go through that. And the thing is, they came out the other side better and stronger. Tristan Newton has continued to improve. Andre Jackson, unless it's short clock, he's he's incredible passer, credible defender, defensive rebounded. Locked down from point guard to power forward. And I think that's going to be the biggest decision that he's got to make. Does he start on Wong? Or does he start on Miller? Does he start on Wong and then Miller gets a go and you flip him with Caravan? Uh, but they are, um, and they're, and they are really committed to each other. Uh, and you know, and I think that I, I was really, you know, I'm around those guys all the time, and and I was really, really impressed just watching them grow. Uh, I guess was the biggest thing. They really grew uh, individually and collectively. And so did Miami. And so did Miami. Nigel Pack came in early. He didn't know where his shots were coming from. Wasn't shooting it well. Was kind of out of sync. Then eventually he figured it out. Jim figured out how to use him. He's not a pure point guard. He's a, he can be a play starter, not a point guard maybe. Obviously Isaiah at any given night can put up a number. Like I tell you, Jordan Miller is a tough matchup. Wuga Poplar separated himself as an elite defender. That matchup with Jordan Hawkins is going to be a monster matchup. And you talk about, you know, life wallet or whatever that guy, John Ruiz's deal is. I'll tell you one thing, he got a great deal on Norchad O'Meara. Like, I know one thing, George O'Meara, he signed a one-year deal. That thing's going to be renegotiated. So let me ask you this. What did we all miss? we this side uh because in the acc in the preseason it was obviously carolina duke virginia before miami was even mentioned well it's real simple north carolina returned four players from the final 14 duke had the number one recruiting class in the country and it's hard to bet against virginia who's had basically been the best program in the acc probably in the last 10 years right but miami Never. had been to the elite eight yeah they've been to the elite eight and, you know, and they lost good players. I mean, Seth Lundberg was a good player. They lost, they, they, they lost their, you know, their point guards. They lost more. They lost, they lost good players. You had more confidence maybe in some of those other guys. You know, you had more confidence in North Carolina for sure. You had a lot of confidence in, you know, this incredible recruiting class of Duke. And look, I don't vote for that stuff, but I mean, what, if we all knew Andy, We'd be in Vegas in a penthouse having someone feed us grapes. I mean, if we all knew, I mean, like I'm thinking, oh, you picked that one. You hate Coach K. No, but the other team is going. If I knew they were they were were going to lose, you know what? Or I thought they were lose, I would pick the other team. You know, and if I knew the answer to the question, you know what? I wouldn't be talking on TV. I would just go be going to going to Vegas and you know raking in cash. So, uh, so Miami's a really good team. You have known Jim Laranaga for a long, long time. A long time. What do you think is the key to his longevity? Uh, 
his patience, his demeanor, his ability to connect with players, his ability to go from coach to grandfather to mentor to uh, he, he has the ability to make players feel good about themselves without enabling them. It's different between being enabled and empowered. He empowers his players. He knows exactly how to put them in. He's a brilliant coach. He puts guys in position to play to their strengths. He provides a system that fits his personnel offensively and defensively. He has shown the agility, the agility to adjust to his personnel uh, and, he, and, and his environment. And that's, to me, what makes him so good. Yeah, I mean, look, people even forget that they share the ACC with Virginia. Um, and, you know, they've done an unbelievable job these last two years, obviously, and each year is judged individually. So, Because before then, they were struggling a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it went back to, what, 20 – I'm trying to remember when it was, 2012 or something like that when they won the ACC. Um, all right, so picking these semis. We can reconvene, obviously, after this. But um, I'm leaning UConn-FAU. Uh, that's sort of where I'm feeling right now on this Tuesday before we get to Houston. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm, I'm right now I'm, I'm leaning because I can't make my pick yet. Uh, but it's I'm leaning to, to FAU and, and Connecticut right now. I think that uh, FAU, the uniqueness of how they play with the four, four gamers, the just the fact that how they were able to beat Tennessee, such a physical defensive team, that reminds me a lot of San Diego State. Uh, had nothing to do with the end of the Creighton game or anything like that. It has just to do with I saw an FAU team deal with a very physical, big Tennessee team and and be unfazed. And to me, that was really, really impressive. And uh, I also saw them play against an athletic, uh, aggressive, confident K-State team and be unfazed. So that's that's where my lean is there. And then just Connecticut's just been overpowering. I just want to make this pitch to people. First of all, I think people love drama, late possession games, regardless of who is playing. Data has shown blowouts, even if they're brand names, blowouts, people turn the channel. So I think we still could get, you know, highly watched games if they're very competitive. And I will say this, UConn and FAU, more than Miami and Santa State, I think they're both highly entertaining to watch. I saw a few in person. I loved watching them. I've seen UConn many times. Uh, I actually think they're, you know, both teams are a good watch. So we'll see how it all plays out. But I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, each team plays, in, in, you know, on this stage. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching both those teams here in the last couple of weeks. I, I love the way Miami plays. I love me personally, as you know, the way I coached, I love the way San Diego State plays. Uh, you know, it's not as aesthetically attractive. I love tough, hard playing dudes. You got four teams that have tough, hard playing dudes and really good coaches that have earned their way uh, that are coaches, coaches. And to me, uh, that's the thing. They're not recruiters. They're coaches that can recruit. And that's, I think that's, that's really good for, for the game. So I'm excited about it. Uh, we will reconvene after the semifinals and we will rehash the semifinals and look ahead to a great championship game. Looking you forward gallivant, to if you gallivant around and, you know, in the media room, you know, eating free food and, you know, hobnobbing with all the socialites where, you know, we here at ESPN 
just, you know, have a little stage outside the arena. They can't get too close, and, you know, treated like, you know, outsiders, but that's okay. We'll be fine. Okay. I'll throw some crumbs your way. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bring me an right. ice cream bar or something. All right. Okay.